to 311, 311. Come to the Savior, make no delay. Here in his word he has shown us the way. Here in our midst he's standing today, tenderly saying, Come, 311. Let's stand. seated and we'll ask the Lord to help us tonight as we seek his face in prayer. Our Father, we thank thee this evening for the Lord Jesus, our Savior. We thank thee for the privilege today to speak of the sympathy, the loving kindness, and the ability of our Lord Jesus to come to our aid. We thank Thee for all the sufficiency that is in Him. We pray tonight that we will enter into that. We pray that we will experience more of our Savior, less of ourselves, and more of the One who hath redeemed us by His blood. Lord, bless each heart tonight. We come hungry. We come in need we come seeking help from thy throne, and we thank thee that there is every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we plead that name that is above every name. Lord, we pray that you'll open your word to our hearts this evening, that it will be a word of great grace to our souls, and that we will truly know the voice of the Lord speaking through the scriptures of truth. We pray for the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts, to melt us and sanctify us, purify us more and more, and change us into the image of our Lord and Savior. Bless every home represented here tonight. Bless our congregation, every family. We ask that your grace will be with them. Bless those who are joining in by webcast, that they may also be marvelously blessed. We pray for the seniors of this church, that you will be gracious to them. We pray for Mrs. Visser at this time and her need, for Mrs. Flynn in the care home. We pray for those who could not be with us this evening, 
we pray that you will be their portion. And we remember the Hamilton family in their sorrow at the passing of Reverend Hamilton's wife, June. We ask that the comfort of the Lord will be their portion this week, that thou will fill that empty place in the home and be near to them as they pay tribute and pay their last farewell to a dear wife and mother and grandmother. We commit them to your loving care. We also remember that special service that most likely has taken place already in Cordoba in Mexico. We pray that you will bless thy servant, Lalo Pina, that you will minister through him in the days to come, and that the Spirit of the Lord will be at work. We pray for each of the Mexican ministries that you will help. Remember in Mexico City and also in Santo Domingo, we pray, Lord, you'll bless our brother Ramon. And so be near each one. Bless thy cause. Exalt the name of our Lord Jesus. To the ends of the earth we pray. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. 339 is our next hymn. Down at the cross where my Savior died. 339. Shall we stand to sing? seated. You may be seated. Well, we come to this last chapter in the book of 1 John, the very last chapter of 1 John, and we'll read this chapter through together, please. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. 
By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which He hath testified of His Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is the record that God hath given to us, eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, He shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless this reading of His Word. Well, thank you for braving the rain and making it along to the meeting here this evening. We welcome you, of course, in the Savior's name, and I trust that our fellowship one with another will be sweet this evening, but most of all that we'll meet with the Lord and that we will know His Spirit striving with us and ministering to us this evening. As I have been praying, we announce the passing of the Reverend Stephen Hamilton's wife, June. She has been suffering Uh, quite a while from cancer, and the last few weeks have not been easy, and the inevitable has happened. She is now, of course, with the Lord. And we can say that with confidence, having known her, and I know some of you have met her here, as she and her husband ministered for a few weeks in the past years, and uh, we do pray that the Lord will be gracious uh, to comfort our brother Stephen, 
and they have two daughters that live in South Carolina. I notice that's where the funeral is going to be taking place, or at least the burial will take place. There will be a, a service nearer home in Pennsylvania. But do pray for the family at this time of their need. Now, I should draw attention to the Monday Zoom prayer meeting. That's tomorrow evening at 5 p.m. your time. Now, this is the first of its kind that I know of. Normally, we have monthly prayer meetings for ministers and elders, and they happen at noon on a Tuesday. But uh, this prayer meeting that has been arranged for tomorrow evening by Zoom is uh, specifically uh, for the whole denomination to pray for camp and for the young people that will be going to camp. And so you should have received an email with that link on there. And so at 5 p.m. Calgary time tomorrow, you can click in and join that prayer time. The Reverend Tomasian will be preaching, and then they'll be having a prayer time for all to participate tomorrow evening. Now, your regular church prayer meeting is on 7 p.m., and uh, I hope to speak at that on Skype. So, come along at 7, and we trust the Lord will bless you as you pray. Saturday evening, Daniel Siman and his wife and daughter arrive, and he'll be preaching next Sunday at both services. And as I mentioned this morning, he'll be bringing his laptop and working remotely uh, through the week and yet fitting in the services. So uh, do remember him and his wife as well. In the month of August, we have three Sundays where Mr. James Fraser will be the preacher, and he will be staying with his brother and his, their, his family in the Erdree area, I think it's somewhere a little north of there, but that's where Don lives, and James and Diana will be staying with them and preaching for three Sundays, and then you have the Reverend Ferguson for five Sundays. Now, please take good care of the Reverend Ferguson. He is a widower, and uh, he's about 10 years older than me, so uh, to travel and to come from Britain and drive on the wrong side of the road for them... Uh, that's a little bit intimidating, uh, so try and encourage him all you can. He's a socialite. He loves to visit. He loves to talk, and if you invite him to your home, he would be delighted. Now, it might be he would really appreciate if you came and picked him up and uh, took him uh, to your home or for coffee or whatever. He would really appreciate that. So, uh, and please don't have him cutting the grass. Now, the last time he tackled that, at least once that I know of, and uh, for those a little younger, that's not a big problem at all, uh, but for somebody up there in their later 70s, uh, let's not them have do that. A few extra dandelions will not do the church any harm if that has to be. So hide the keys on them. Don't let them in where the lawnmower is locked up so that uh, he won't take that on. Outreach, I'd like to thank Isaiah and Ali for helping last night. And through the week, I think we got somewhere close to a thousand copies out in the community, all the way from 28th Avenue right down to 16th Avenue toward the freeway uh, for a few blocks uh, around the church here. So uh, I'm not sure what to suggest in the future because. Uh, that's a thousand already gone. We've got therefore about 1,500 left, and we do want to keep a supply for visitors to the church. So uh, I don't know what to suggest. Um, there are other options of tracts and so on, and maybe we need to talk about that in the future. But those thousand copies, we trust the Lord will use them. You never know who reads them who sets them aside, and then some emergency comes along in their lives, and they may read them. There was one man this week in the morning. Uh, I was up one side of the street. He was on the other side outside having a smoke. And I crossed over and gave him a booklet and then went on up the street, and I looked back at one point, and there he was sitting on the steps reading 
the booklet. Now, that was reassuring and rewarding just to see that. And we're hoping that that happens in every home, and only the Lord can give that interest and use that in each heart. As to other details, we have a session and committee meeting on July 24th. Thank you for changing that for us due to Beulah and me heading off next weekend uh, to celebrate our 45th wedding anniversary. And again, I want to say it's been very nice to have Beulah here this week. She has fed me well. She has made many meals down in the church kitchen, and uh, we have had a good week together. And uh, I'd like to thank you for changing that date right to the 24th. And then the other big day to keep in mind, of course, is the election of deacons, which is presently scheduled for September 19th. So those are the announcements this evening. We have another hymn we're going to sing together. It is 357, All That Thrills My Soul is Jesus. But what about the offering? I keep forgetting about the offering, don't I? Uh, Dirk, maybe you can come along and pray, and uh, let's have prayer for the offering this evening. Father, we rejoice, O Lord, as we come before you this evening. We give you thanks, O Lord, for thy word that was read out. Lord, and it says here, Father, and if he know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. What a beautiful verse, O Lord, and we come tonight to thee before thee, Father. We ask and pray, O Lord, will thou be pleased, Father, to make use of this means of grace, O Lord. Be with Mr. Gulliger, Father, Lord, make use of him, Father, to preach thy word, Father, we ask and pray, O Lord. As Bob prayed in the prayer room tonight, Father, with will fill him of the Holy Ghost. And bless him, Father. Lord, may it please you, Father, to have him to be a signpost to Jesus Christ on his side, Father. Take thy word, O Lord. Breathe upon it, Father. And feed our souls, O Lord, we ask and pray. Lord, come and meet with us, Father, we do pray. And Father, in regards to the tithes and offerings, O Lord, which we give unto thee, Lord, wouldst thou make use of them, Father, the extension of thy kingdom, the glorification of thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Father, we thank Thee for this beautiful hymn. We thank Thee for the word that we have read together as we come to preach it. Come, Lord, minister to each and every heart. We pray for Your presence. We pray for Your grace to our souls. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 3, as the key, that we may have fellowship with the Father and the Son. That's the thesis of this whole book of 1 John. The word fellowship is koinonia, partnership, to be in communion, union, and in partnership with the Father and the Son. And in chapter 1, we learn how this happens. It happens by a revelation of the Son, by a revelation of God's grace and the blood, the blood that cleanseth us and keeps on cleansing us. Chapter 2 is what happens? We mark there are 10 things in chapter 2 of what happens when you're born again and brought into the family of God. One outstanding one is that we keep His commandments, the laws written in our hearts, and they are not grievous unto us. Chapter 3 is, by whom does this happen? Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Chapter 4 is who cares? John cared. The false prophets don't care, but every born a Christian cares for the knowledge of the true Savior that He is come in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. Chapter 5 is the chapter of faith that overcomes the world. And you'll see in verse 4, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now, I think that John the Apostle has done great service to the church to outline what the world is and what its problem is and how every professing born-again Christian is to be an overcomer over the world. The only kind of Christianity that is worthy of our faith is Christianity that overcomes the world. If it doesn't enable you to be a new creature, a new man, a new woman, to live a new life and get victory over the world, then it is hardly even worthy of preaching. Now, the Bible ends in the book of Revelation with those who overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. The enemies, the persecutors, and the false teachers of the end times. The church, the Christian, overcomes by the power of faith. And so in this chapter, we want to study overcoming the world, conquering faith, faith that enables us to say no to the world and to triumph through the Lord Jesus. And I think you can see here in this chapter that John, the writer, wanted his readers to have this victorious faith. And I trust that you tonight can say, I have that. I have something of that. And my heart's desire is that I might have more of that over coming faith. So let's look in this chapter for a few things that mark overcoming faith. The first one, verse 1, that it is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now you'll notice that this is more than just knowledge. It's more than just assent. It is more than just saying, I know to have this faith 
it is to be convinced and to believe with all your heart that the Lord Jesus is indeed the Christ sent by God. Now, this really is a loaded statement. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ. There's a whole lot more than just saying, do you believe on Jesus? Do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in the Jesus the church preaches? Whatever. No, this is believing that He's the Christ, the sent one, the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Now, remember, these, this letter was written to people who were believing really on the cusp of Old Testament life. This was the, still the first century, getting close to the end of it, yes, but still uh, not really developed as we would be today in the church at large, but in a world that was still thinking about the Messiah that was promised. And John's conviction and John's message is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the sent one. Now, this kind of personal faith, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, and it all comes down to this personal faith, that He came and He was sent by the Father for you. For you. Not just for the masses. Not just for Christians in their nations and cultures, but for you. If you're a real personal believer, then you can truly say in your heart tonight that this Son of God, this man Christ Jesus, came into the world for me to redeem me. It also means that by this personal faith that Jesus lived a sinless life for you. Now, none of us claim to be sin-free. None of us claim to have done all the will of God all of the time, all of our lives. But the Lord Jesus did, and He did it for us individually. That's personal faith. It also means that Jesus died on the cross, a substitutionary death in our place, taking our sins, and our sins were laid on Him. And it means that Jesus rose from the dead in victory for you and has purchased resurrection life for you, that even though death comes upon you, your body may lay in the grave for a time, yet there's going to be a resurrection day because Christ rose again for you. And of course, this is this personalizes faith. Faith has to be personalized. We call it personal saving faith. It cannot merely be a generality. And so John closes the book, and he calls for this faith that overcomes the world and it's based upon the very life and person of the Lord Jesus. And when that is your personal conviction, when that's your hope and confidence, it makes you an overcomer over the world. You can kill me, but I'll still be an overcomer. My religion may cause a shortening of my life, but I'll still be an overcomer because the Lord Jesus is the one who did all for me. And this is, therefore, overcoming faith. Now, as you go into verse 1, you'll also notice that this overcoming faith worketh by love. And everyone that loveth him that begat, that's the Father, loveth him also that is begotten of God. That's the children, the people of God. Now, note that it's everyone. There's no exceptions. Everyone that loveth Him, the Father, 
loveth him also that is begotten, the children of the Father. There's no exception. There's no one who can say, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm born of the Spirit, but I have no interest in the Lord's people. I have no interest in their walk, their battle, their service for the Lord. Everyone, John says, and it always works and should be in every single professing Christian. And of course, this is a great test. People can say, any person can say, I believe the Lord Jesus, I'm converted, I'm saved. They can make all the right statements, but they will want to serve, fellowship with the people of God. Now, a Christian truly has God for their father, and thus there will be a bond of love for your spiritual siblings, your family of God. And the church is to be primed by love, driven by love, and Christians are to overcome all the irritations and the hurts of life by this inner operation of the love of God burning within your soul. Now, this statement, this heading I've taken here that faith worketh by love, it's really a text from Paul the Apostle who said that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And that's the prime mover. That's the motivation. And these are twins. They go together. And there will be a new work of grace and a new work of the Spirit within each and every heart. Now, in real terms, this means that every Christian is working for unity in the church, unity with our fellow believers in the Lord Jesus. Would you turn with me to Ephesians 4 and verse 1? Ephesians 4 and verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. And here now is the appeal. It is the apostles' call to a life of faithful walking and service with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, underline the word endeavoring. We don't always achieve it. We don't always win over a brother or a sister that's offended. But we've got to work at it. We've got to endeavor to befriend them, to minister to them, and to be God's messenger to them. And of course, not all of God's people are equal. Not all are the same. Some are easy to love and easy to befriend. But we've got to be willing to serve and to minister even to those that are difficult, and to ensure that we uh, encourage them and lift them up and be a helper unto God and to grace. Some people can be very moody. Some people can be hyperactive, the kind of the fidgety type that can hardly sit for five minutes and be still. And then there are other people that are like a sloth, and you could hardly motivate them if you tried. You would have to put a, uh, put a fire to them to get them to move. And of course, many people live with pain. Many people live with sorrow. Many people live with worry, doubts, and fears. 
and some have not the maturity of others. Some are new in the faith. Some never seem to grow as they should. But the Lord told us that there would be those who would have fruit some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. And there will be Christians that disappoint us. We would have had high hopes. We would have said they've got every advantage in life, a Christian home. They've had upbringing in a Sunday school, the best of teaching and role models, and yet they're just so careless. And we still have to come alongside and minister unto them. And so the church is a rehab center. It's a place for broken lives, broken hearts, and for those that need help. And we have to remember that we've all come out of the slavery of sin. And some stumble, and some are weak, and some feel, and they need to be held up. And that's where the body ministers to one another. The strong are to help the weak. The weak are to be encouraged by those that seem to be living in the power of faith. And of course, we all fall very far short of perfection. And we're to be in the business of restoring. The Apostle Paul called himself a nurse. That was his heart. He was obviously a mature man. He was a man who was bold, fiery, and had the truth burning in his heart. But there were many that he ministered to that were like the Corinthians, unable to receive strong meat. They were still on the milk. And we need that pastor's heart. We need that caring spirit. Remember the story of John? How that young man that fell away from the church, how he learned of him and he got a horse and a guide and he rode up into the mountains. He sought out that robber's den he had the sentinels take them to their leader, and he saw that young man walk away from John and said, John, John said, why do you fear me, an old man? And he pleaded with that young man to give up his life of sin and of prodigality, and he brought him back, personally ministered to him, and sought to rebuild a life. That's the heart of the Apostle John. And of course, our Lord Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. That's the proof, because you have a heart that cares and ministers to the needy. Now, moving on here in this chapter, and I can't preach everything in the chapter, but we're going to move on a little bit down to verse 13. Overcoming faith is based on truth, on hard facts. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's not a faith without knowledge. It's not a faith that is a leap in the dark, but rather it is founded on hard facts. And facts are stubborn things. And you'll notice in uh, chapter 5, 13... I need to get back there. You will see in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. These things have I written. Now, what are these things? What are these hard facts upon which we build our faith. Well, if you go back to verse 8, you have the fact of the Spirit. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit 
And you'll notice in verse 6 that the Spirit is referred to. It is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. He is truth. The Holy Spirit never cuts against truth, and He always agrees with Scripture. And if you're a young Christian here tonight, learn the fact that the witness of the Holy Spirit is always in full agreement with the Bible. The Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the written record of God's Word. He cannot lie. And the Bible is the Spirit's default position. And no matter what the experience or the supposed miracle or wonder that is presented, the Holy Spirit's ministry always agrees with the written Word. These things are written, John says. And you'll see that in verse 13. These things have I written. And then he goes on to talk about the record. And then back in verse 8, there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit. And then he moves on in verse 8 to the water. Now, here is the fact that the Lord Jesus really died. This cannot be the water of baptism, because not everyone that's baptized is born again. Uh, we do not believe in baptismal regeneration. We do not believe that because uh, in some ceremony a person is baptized, whatever the mold is, whatever the amount of water that is used, that a person is brought to faith by water. No, this is a reference to the death of our Lord Jesus. And it's the water that flowed from the Savior's side when He was pierced by that spear. And you know the record that out of His side came both blood and water. The water is the evidence that our Lord Jesus truly died. He didn't just suffer on the cross. He died. He suffered unto death. It was a sacrifice where He laid down His life and offered up Himself unto God the Father. And that water testified the fact that Jesus truly died. And so, we have this fact, the fact of the Spirit, the fact of the water, and then also in verse 8 you have the fact of the blood, that Jesus really pardons, and our faith is in the blood atonement, the blood substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And so our faith is not in mythology, it's not in myth. It's not in some theory, but it is in the reality of God sending His Son. And that Son going to the cross, He laid down His life, He shed His blood, and all of these things are recorded for our faith. You look at verse 11, and this is the record. And here is the fact that is really accurate. That's Bible Christianity. And this is the, the fundamental battle for the written Word of God that is inspired and infallible. Now, in this verse 11, the word record is the same word for martyr. And the martyrs laid down their lives for what they believed because it was true. They were willing to yield their life for what they believed. It was absolutely certain. And then in verse 13, you have this classic text of the believer's assurance of faith in the Lord Jesus. And in all of Scripture, there is no more direct promise or declaration for our faith than John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may 
know that ye have eternal life, that ye may know and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, in verse 14, and this is the confidence, and you can see that this is all about assurance. It's all about building us up in the faith. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Now, here's another point on the assurance of salvation, that this faith leads you to prayer. It leads you to ask. It leads you to seek the blessing and the saving grace of the Lord Jesus. And to be saved, you must, of course, call upon the name of the Lord. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what faith in the good news of the gospel does in hearts. I hope it has happened in your heart. And I trust you have this blessed assurance, this absolute conviction that you are in Christ and saved by His grace. Now, the chapter closes, and therefore the book closes, with overcoming faith that keeps us from false worship. And we go now to verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. Now, this overcoming faith will enable you to keep yourself. It will work in your soul and in your life a preserving ministry whereby you will press on. And then also in verse 18, this overcoming faith will keep you from the devil, and that wicked one toucheth him not. So it's overcoming faith. I overcome myself. I overcome the devil. And then in verse 19, overcoming the world that lies in wickedness. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, just think of that term that is used there, lieth in wickedness. This is like the sow that wallows in the mire. I saw a clip this week on some YouTube video of a dog, and it was a hot, hot day. And there was a large puddle of water, muddy water, and that kind of a, wasn't a Labrador, I think it was a similar breed, about the same size of dog, lots of hair, and it just lay down in the puddle and rolled over in the mud, and it just stood up dripping of all the uh, filth that was in that mud. And John says, the whole world lieth in wickedness. What a description for the world that we're living in. Takes delight. It just lies. It surrenders gladly to the filth of this world, but not the Christian, because we're told, and we know that we are of God, and verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us eternal life. Now, we need no more proof that the world lieth in wickedness than their obsession with idols. You'll see in verse 21, it, the book closes with this command, little children, keep yourself from idols. And religious people in Canada and around the world are idolaters. Even atheists are idolaters. They idolize money. They idolize material things. They put their trust in it. They put their hope in it. Some idolize success and business. 
And of course, many have actual icons and idols that they bow down to or trust in, or they might have in their car those little St. Christophers, the, the saint for travelers, or they might have a little Mary, or I saw at a doorstep this week, a Buddha. And these are the idols of the world. But for the person that is born of God, we will be overcomers even of those idols of the world. We don't allow them to be our masters. We use the world. We use money. We live in homes. We drive a car. But they don't master us. They don't rule our minds and our decisions, our wants and our desires. But rather we live free from those very things. And it comes back to faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus. And if your eyes are upon the Lord, if you're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, if you're trusting in Him completely, then you will be an overcomer over every one of these idols. And of course, we will have true partnership with the Father and with the Son. This is our blessedness. This is our joy. And I'm going to take you back where we started in this book in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. The joy of the world won't last. The joy that people find in idols is false. But we can truly say tonight there is real joy in knowing and serving the Lord Jesus. And it grows and grows. It's not something that we squander and it's here today and it's gone next week. It grows and grows and abounds and will never fail us. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And of course, when we see Christ, when we are with Christ, we shall enter into that fullest experience of everlasting joy. That's our Christianity. That's our faith. That's what makes us overcomers in this world, even our faith. Let's pray that the Lord will work that in us tonight and stir our hearts more and more. Our Father, we thank Thee for these precious truths that we have gleaned from this 1 John 5. We thank Thee for faith, the gift of faith, this ability to trust in the Lord Jesus, to turn from every other thing that is phony and temporary and false, and that we can trust the ever-living One the Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of our faith. And we ask tonight that you will make us overcomers more and more, that we will overcome ourselves, that we will overcome our own uh, foolish, carnal natures, and that we will put on the Spirit of God and be changed more and more into the image of the Lord. We also pray that we'll be overcomers over the devil. We know that he's a roaring lion. He's going about seeking to destroy whom he can. Lord, keep us by your Spirit, by faith, from surrendering to the devil. And then, Lord, keep us from idols. We confess that all around us in this world, men and women, young people are idolaters. 
whether it's the Hollywood, uh, the music world, the material things, Lord, Thou hast called us to continue to trust and to look unto the Lord as our Savior. And so we pray for Your grace even in the week to come and that we will, be, we will get the victory more and more by looking, trusting, and resting in the Lord Jesus. Oh, hear us, we pray, and minister on to us, we ask, in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn is number 409. 409. Trusting in Jesus, my Savior divine, I have the witness that still He is mine. 409. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each brother, each sister in the Lord, and be with thy church, thy people, until we meet again. Amen.